Hello friends, this is Paul, and I hope you're enjoying wandering through nature with me each week. Well, if you enjoy wandering through nature and you enjoy journaling those wanderings, in other words, writing down or drawing whatever you find out there on our adventures, well, I've got an awesome nature journal for you. Yeah, I have three different nature journals with three different covers on them. The insides are pretty much the same. Lots of blank pages for you to write and draw all your experiences and your feelings while you're wandering through nature. The covers are different on each one of the three. And I also, for the young at heart or the youngsters who wander through nature with you, I have a children's nature journal, which is a guided nature journal. Lots of pages filled with ideas and suggestions for adventures in nature. Maybe they want to go exploring nature at night, doing a bug night. Well, they can do that with my suggestions and they can write everything down in their journal. And of course, I did leave some pages blanks for the youngsters to actually fill them out. Where can you get these awesome journals? Well, they're available now on Amazon. Yeah, Amazon.com. Do a search for author Paul Ferringer, and you'll find the Nature Wanderer journals. And I'm in the middle of creating some new ones, so keep an eye out and grab those journals while they're available. Have a great day, and keep wandering through nature. Hello friends, this is Paul, and yes, this is the Nature Wanderer Podcast. I'd like to welcome you today. I hope you had a chance to listen to last week's episode about the beaver. This is part two of the beaver episode. Yeah, I had so much information. Like I said in part one, I just kept researching it and I kept finding out more information that I didn't even know. Uh, although most of it I did know, but I kept finding new stuff that I thought was too interesting to just leave out. So I decided that this was going to be a two-episode topic. Yeah, the beaver is just such a fascinating animal. So I don't want to waste any time. I want to jump right in. Um, last week, we learned all about some very interesting information, facts about the beaver. And this week, I'd like to start out talking about the beaver dam and the beaver lodge. Now, remember, as I said in episode one, the beaver is one of the only animals of the man who can alter their own environment, turning one environment into another environment. In other words, they will take a stream, dam it up, creating a pond or a lake, depending on how big the area is, how deep it is, um, how tall the dam is, too. They are great at constructing these dams. They take sticks, small sticks, sometimes larger sticks, medium-sized sticks, and they will carry them to where the water is flowing. They will wedge it into the base of the stream or creek, and they will keep adding mud to it. So they keep adding sticks, adding mud, more sticks, more mud, pack it down, not with their tail, with their front feet. And they keep doing this until the dam gets big enough to back up the water. Now, they're turning the stream into a big enough section because of protection. It protects them from danger. Short legs can't run away from danger, so they build 
a pond so that they can swim away from danger, go under the water where most of their predators can't go. Now, this mud, as it dries, almost turns to a cement. Have you ever tried tearing apart a beaver lodge or a beaver dam? I have. I had an incident where there was a town that wanted to destroy the beaver that ended up in their local park. And so they kept talking about trapping it or shooting them. And and so for the sake of the beaver, I jumped in with some friends and we built a beaver baffle and the beaver kept trying to dam up the beaver baffle and they were doing a pretty good job. So we would have to go in once a month and start tearing these sticks out and it is not easy. Yeah, those sticks are really packed in there and the mud, like I said, it turns to like a cement consistency. So it's so packed together, it's hard to rip apart. Now, there is damage to the dam now and then, sometimes from fast running water or maybe from a coyote or fox digging at it or a human trying to get rid of the dam because it's flooding upstream and they don't want it to. So the beaver will constantly repair their dam. They're always checking it to make sure if there is a leak in it, they can repair it. They can fix it. Beaver know where the leaks are because they can hear them. Yeah, they don't like the sound of running water. I remember reading many years ago about an experiment that scientists did where they found a beaver dam in perfect condition. I mean, it wasn't broken down, didn't have any leaks. And they set a tape recorder on top of the dam and the recording was of running water. Now, they turned it on and they just left and they returned the next morning to find the tape recorder was covered in sticks and mud. It was buried. So the beaver heard this running water is driving them crazy. And it's like, I've got a leak here. I got to fix it. They didn't see the running water, but they heard it. So they had to get rid of it. And so they covered that tape recorder up until they couldn't hear it anymore. Problem solved. So yeah, it's the sound of flowing water that the beaver doesn't like because it means that, well, there could be danger with their dam, which is going to break and then they have to rebuild it. Now, the height requirements of the dam is actually figured out by the beaver. They don't just go willy-nilly on it and say, here, let's just keep piling logs up until it looks good. No, they actually will keep raising the water level until it's right at the height that they need. Now, there's a couple of requirements. First of all, they need the water deep enough so that it won't freeze down to the bottom of the pond because then they can't survive. We'll talk about the lodge in a minute. And basically, there's entrances to the lodge under the water. So they have to get out of those entrances into clear water. So it has to be deep enough where it doesn't freeze. But it also has to be shallow enough so that the lodge floor doesn't flood. Yeah, they need dry space in the lodge. The lodge is not filled with water. 
And since I'm talking about the lodge, let's talk about the lodge. So the lodge is also built like the dam with sticks and mud. Very tough to take apart a lodge. I did once see a video of a coyote digging at a beaver lodge, and he just kept digging and digging, and he was probably there for like 15 minutes, and he finally just gave up. He knew there was beaver inside. He could probably smell them, probably heard them, but he could not get in there. So he just gave up and walked away. It just wasn't worth the effort. They are a fortress, these lodges. Now, the lodge is usually built off of shore, although I have seen lodges that are built very close to the shore. But usually they like to be far enough offshore where animals can't swim out to it. It's better protection. But I have, like I said, I have seen quite a few, actually, beaver lodges built right next to the shore. Once again, it's tough for an animal to dig into them, so they are fairly well protected in this fortress. The lodge is in the water. There is land inside, so they build up on the middle of the lodge so that they have a nice dry place. And then there's a hole in the middle of the floor of the lodge. And that hole usually splits into two tunnels that go underneath the water and come out under the water. They don't have entrances up above the water because that's Well, not good because animals can get into that entrance then. Coyote, fox, they can go right down into that entrance and get at the beaver. So the doors, the entrances, are built with these tunnels exiting out and entering in through the water. Now, they will have usually two entrances to the lodge. Now, the reason for that is if a predator does start going into one of the entrances, they can easily escape out the other entrance. Now, there's also a vent somewhere in the lodge, usually a hole, very small hole or a few holes, venting out to the air above. you got to realize this lodge has entrances into the water, so you're not getting any fresh air into the lodge. That's why they put this vent somewhere in the roof. But you've got this tangled mess of sticks. Good luck in finding out where that vent is. It's not like they put a chimney on that you can easily see. Now, not all lodges are built this way, though. You see, when there's young male beavers leaving the lodge and they're looking for a place of their own, they will usually find a stream or a creek or a river and they build a what we call a bank den. So they dig a hole in the bank of the river and they make their den in there. It's very small. The reason is that it's only for them. They don't have a family yet. They haven't mated. They haven't found a mate. Once they find a mate, and they start raising the family, that's when they build these big lodges. And as the family gets larger, they build a bigger lodge. It has to be big enough to keep everyone in it during the winter time. And of course, you have the food stored under the water in the winter. Now, they are not hibernators. They don't hibernate throughout the winter. Beaver are active in the winter. 
They do slow down their activity. They're obviously not up on shore cutting down trees, but they do have to go under the water, grab their food, bring it back up into the lodge to eat it. So they are active in the winter. They don't hibernate. They don't sleep away the winter. They just slow down their activities. And because they're slowing down their activities, they don't need to eat as much. So they don't have to store a whole lot of food, just enough food to keep the entire family alive throughout the winter. And speaking of family, what is the family unit? Well, they do mate for life. Beaver, once they find a mate, they will usually, I shouldn't say they definitely, but they usually mate for life. Sometimes if a mate dies, they will find a new mate. Their breeding season is between January and March. Burr, <laughs> that's cold. What else have you got to do in the den, though? Yeah, breeding season is between January and March, and as the thaw comes in May and June, that's when the kits are born. Yes, that's what you call a baby beaver, a kit, K-I-T. So the kits are born in May and June. Now, they average around four kits per litter. Now, they have one litter per year. They can only have one or they can have up to eight. It all depends on how much room they have and how much food is available, how big the pond is. So there's a lot of factors in how many kits they have in their litter. But the average is four. The maximum is usually eight. But there are some studies that have shown them to have like one kit in a year, and there was probably just there was a lack of food that year. Maybe there was a drought and there wasn't as much plant life for them to eat. So yeah, the number depends on the food availability. Oh, and it can also depend on the age of mom. As they get older, they don't give birth to as many young, as many kits. Now the kits are weaned at 10 to 12 weeks of age. So they will get their nutrients from mom for the first 10 to 12 weeks, and then she weans them off onto eating the plants and the cambium layer of the tree. Now the kits will stay in the den with the parents for an average of two years. Sometimes the males will leave after the first year, and those are the ones that become the bank beavers. They're solitary. They don't have a family of their own, so they don't need that big lodge. So the males will leave, and they will look for a female. But while they're looking, they just build a bank den, and they become what we call a bank beaver. Some females, remember I said about Two years they stay in the lodge. Well, some females will stay as late as three years in the lodge, as long as there's room. They do help with the household. Um, they will mop the floors, do the dishes. No, the, the females, they are helping to take care of the younger kits, helping to gather food. So they do help with the household. The males do while they're there as well. Now, you can have kits from three generations living in one lodge. So you have mom and dad, you have 
the babies of that year, the babies of the previous year as well. So you can have three generations living in a lodge at one time. Now, the beavers are sexually mature at two years of age. The lifespan of a beaver, anywhere from 10 to 12 years. In captivity, they have been known to live much longer. I read somewhere that they can live up to 18 years in captivity. So the average lifespan, though, in the wild is 10 to 12 years. Now, these guys are great swimmer. As I mentioned in episode one, we talked all about the tail. The tail acts as a rudder, so it helps them to not only steer in the water, but it also helps to push them through the water. And they have those webbed hind feet. So between the toes, there's webbing. When they spread their toes out, it acts like a fin and it helps to push them through the water. They have waterproofing on their fur. Yeah, beaver, you'll, you'll hear beaver fur is waterproof. Well, it's actually an oil that they spread on themselves. There's a gland, the castorium gland, down by the backside under the tail, and it basically emits this castorium oil. Now, castorium oil gets spread throughout their fur, which basically waterproofs the beaver. So they come out of the water, they shake themselves, and they're dry. Keeps them warm. Well, that thick fur also keeps them warm. Now, a beaver can hold their breath underwater up to, you ready for this, 15 minutes. Yeah, 15 whole minutes they can hold their breath underwater. That's a long time. But you got to realize if they're swimming around under the water trying to stay away from danger, working their way over towards their lodge, it may take them that long to get there. Or maybe it takes them that long to dig that piece of food, that stick out of the mud that they put there for their winter stores. So 15 minutes of holding their breath. I think I could probably go maybe a minute. Um, now, how do you sex a beaver? Probably something you don't really care about. Well, they are what we call monomorphs. Monomorphs mean that they look alike, male and female. You can't tell the difference between the two by looking at them. Okay, maybe that one's bigger. Well, maybe it's an older beaver. Doesn't mean it's a male. With birds, usually the female's larger than the male. So you can't tell by looking at it. So how do you? Well, maybe you lift the leg up and look at the genitalia. Well, actually, the genitalia are internal on the beaver. Hey, you're in cold water. You don't want anything like that getting, well, we won't go there. But anyhow, the way you tell a male from a female is you squeeze out castor. Yeah, that castor oil, you squeeze it out. And if it's brown, it's a male. At least that's what I've heard from a couple of sources. But from a more reliable source, 
They say the best way to sex a beaver is you squeeze out this castor oil and you smell it. Now, I don't know. I'm not going to be putting my nose up to a beaver butt, but maybe you want to know whether it's a male or female. I really don't care enough to put my nose by a beaver butt. But if you do, well, if it smells like cheese, it's a female. If it smells like motor oil, it's a male. Now, this castor or castorium has been used by people. Back in the days when beaver were trapped for their fur, well, they also took this gland out of the beaver and they used the castorium in things like perfumes and vanilla flavors, raspberry flavors, chewing gum, sweets, gelatin, and much more. And I'd really hate to disappoint those people who really enjoy vanilla ice cream. Yeah, um, you're actually eating some castorie. Well, not today. Well, it could be. Depends on the brand of ice cream. So castorium has been used throughout the years. They use it a lot less now, mostly because it's not readily available. It's harder to get. But back in the past, they used it in a lot of things. And mostly because it had a taste like vanilla or sometimes like raspberry. had this very unique flavor. So they would flavor things with it and they would scent it with it as well. had the odor of vanilla. So that's why they used it in perfumes. So let's talk a little bit about the history of the beaver. Yeah, they were trapped. The trapping of beaver started around the 1500s. And it started as a trade for the pelts between the Europeans and the Native Americans. And it continued extensively for about 300 years. You got to realize in the beaver pelt, they swim around in the water, cold water. They need to stay warm. So they have about 23,000 hairs packed into every square inch of fur. That's a lot. It makes it very soft. And that's why beaver felt hats became very popular. Yeah, they would make these very tall top hats out of beaver felt or the beaver fur. And they became so popular that beaver were hunted, trapped by the thousands because they couldn't get enough of them to make these hats. They also made beaver fur coats out of them. And of course, I talked about the castoreum. So all of these reasons were basically causing the fur trade during these 300 years to be very popular. And unfortunately, the beaver didn't fare well with that. Now, as the popularity of these hats and the fur coats and also the lack of beaver, because their numbers were dropping quite a bit, the fur trade did eventually stop. But unfortunately, at that point, they were extirpated from quite a few areas. 
Now, if you're not familiar with that term, it basically means they were extinct. They disappeared from certain areas. Not everywhere, but certain areas. I know New York State, where I live, they were extirpated from the entire state. They were gone. You couldn't find a beaver anywhere. Now, they did start putting protections on the beaver in the 19th and 20th century, and they started reintroducing them to these areas, which were their natural habitats before, but they disappeared because of the fur trade. Now, it wasn't always introduction by humans. We didn't always introduce them to these areas. Sometimes they just wandered in on their own. Remember, you've got these young beavers, two years old, looking for a place to live because there's no room in the old lodge. So they would wander off and dam up a new stream, and they would just keep wandering until there was room for them. So they started moving themselves into these areas where the beaver were no longer. They were hunted into extirpation. Now, they did make a big comeback. They now estimate that the beaver ranges around 10 to 15 million. So they think there's anywhere between 10 and 15 million beaver in North America now. Doesn't compare to pre-trapping days. They estimate that before all this trapping happened, there was between 100 and 200 million beaver in North America. Now, I do want to wrap things up by talking about something I kind of opened with in the first episode, that love-hate relationship and learning to live with the beaver. You see, with the beaver numbers increasing and the human population increasing and humans expanding into natural areas and we love being near our water, we love being near a stream, we love being... Well, the more people, the more beaver, the more interactions. Yes, we're going to have more contact with them. And this is true with a lot of wildlife. I hear all the time about wildlife and humans getting closer to each other because we keep moving into their habitat. And what happens is, well, they become a nuisance to people. Hey, they were here first, but we won't get into that. Um, So are beaver a nuisance or are they a benefit? Well, you see, beaver are actually considered a keystone species. If you're not familiar with that term, if you think about, well, what's a keystone? You ever seen these old arches made of stone where they curve up at the top? Well, if you took a bunch of rocks and you started stacking them up in a nice straight stack on top of each other and then you started curving it, what's going to happen? Those rocks are going to fall to the ground. So what you do is you curve them on one side, you curve them on the other side, and then you stick a V-shaped rock right in the middle. That is what's going to prevent the whole thing from collapsing. That is the keystone. You take that keystone out, everything collapses. The same thing happens in nature. You have what we call keystone species, and the beaver is considered a keystone species. When they disappear, well, the whole 
ecosystem gets out of whack and it could collapse. You see, the beaver, when they build their dam and they create this pond, they're actually creating a whole new habitat. Who uses that habitat? Waterfowl, songbirds, deer to get a drink, animals to come up and bathe to drink. And you start getting plants growing around this pond. And animals use those plants for eating. You get more insects. You get birds eating the insects. You get, well, basically a whole new chain of life. All because this beaver built this new ecosystem. Study the wolves of Yellowstone. It's very interesting how when they basically hunted the wolves to extinction in Yellowstone National Park, the whole ecosystem started falling apart because the elk became so numerous and they started destroying the stream beds. And Well, I'm not going to get into it. It's a long story, but look it up. The wolf, when they reintroduced it, it put everything back into an equilibrium. Nature takes care of itself as long as we don't mess with it. So the beaver, they're a keystone species. They are very important to the ecology, important to nature, important to the ecosystem. But yes, they can be considered a nuisance. They cut down trees, especially those beautiful trees that we want around our property. And if they cut one down too close to our house, it might fall in our house too. It destroys our property by cutting down these trees. And when they build a dam, it does create that pond. But if it's too close to houses, it could flood the houses. There's a town very close to me that's having a beaver problem and they've been talking about trapping and the residents are up in arms and no, we got to protect the beaver. And yeah, so it does happen where you get into these situations about flooding and the tree cutting. And so beaver can be considered a nuisance animal. Hey, they're just doing what they are supposed to do. That's just how they survive. So they have done in the past, and look this up, Look, do a Google search for beaver and helicopter, and you're probably shaking your head and going, oh no, what is he talking about? Yeah, they um, used to trap and relocate them, and I have seen these videos, and it's almost comical. They were trapping beaver. They would put them into these wooden crates, attach parachutes to these wooden crates, and they would have a special mechanism where when the crate hit the ground, it would open up the door of this crate and the beaver would just wander off into this mountainous region where no one lives and they wouldn't be a nuisance to anybody. And they were dropping these crates with the parachutes on them out of these helicopters up into mountainous regions where they couldn't just drive them up. So it's almost comical to see. They did stop that program after they did have a few incidences where the crate accidentally opened while the crate was in the air. Nowadays, they do a trap and kill a lot of times. I know in New York State here, if 
they trap a beaver, they are not allowed to relocate it. You are taking someone's problem and putting it in someone else's yard so that it becomes their problem. So that's why it's not allowed to trap and relocate in New York State. And I'm sure there's other states that are the same. So the best thing is to learn to live with them. How do you protect the trees from the chew? Well, basically, you wrap them in wire. How do you stop the flooding? You build what's called a beaver baffle. A beaver baffle is basically you destroy part of the dam, you put a nice conduit through, and you let the beaver build on top of that. But on the ends of the conduit, they're either far enough under the water where the beaver can't hear the running water, or you build this big cage around it. There's different ways of building beaver baffles. I actually built one in the local town when I was trying to save the beaver there. And like I said, he kept building around it. And eventually um, I called our DEC, Department of Environmental Conservation, to see, hey, what else can we do? And... The, the guy told me, he says, did you get a permit for that? And I'm like, uh, a permit? He says, yeah, you need a permit to build a beaver baffle. And when you're dealing with wildlife, you need a permit to change their habitat, to fix things like that. And I says, well, I'm sure the highway department didn't get any permits when they kept destroying the dam. And he says, yeah, well, I'm just going to overlook all of this and we'll talk to them and see what we can do. But anyhow, um, so learn to live with them. Build these beaver baffles. Protect your trees with wire. Some towns, I saw one up in Seattle where they are actually building a park around the beaver. So they figured, why fight the beaver? They're great creatures. They're awesome. Let's just build a park that basically landscapes around the pond that this beaver built. It's awesome. So create this landscape around the beaver. That way you can live with them. <clears throat> now, if you've never seen a beaver, remember, they are nocturnal, very active around sunset. So if you know where there's a beaver dam or beaver lodge, grab your lawn chair, go over to that pond or the lake and set it up on the shore around sunset and just sit there quietly and watch. And you probably will see the beaver swimming through the water. I've seen many beaver. Usually around sunset is when I see them, but I have seen them in the middle of the day as well. So get out there, grab a beaver tail pastry, head down to the local pond and enjoy watching them. Well, it looks like we've run out of time. I hope you learned a lot about beaver. I apologize if it took two episodes, but I wanted to make sure you got all the information. I thought it was pretty fascinating. Don't forget to invite some friends with you next time. Bring your friends along. Hit that like and subscribe button also. And if you'd like to support the podcast so I can keep doing these podcasts and keep teaching you about nature, uh, join my Ko-Fi page. I am constantly adding new stuff to it. I've been updating the page. I'm going to be adding some more videos to it. So join the Ko-Fi. You can buy Nature Wanderer merchandise. There's the Nature Wanderer Challenge. So go on the website. It should be out pretty soon. I am 
doing the final touches on it. So take a challenge to get yourself out of nature and get some other people out there. So grab a friend, grab some kids, and get out and explore the nature around you. And if you'd like to journal all your wanderings through nature, don't forget that I do have journals available on Amazon. The links for all of these things are in the show notes, or you can go to my webpage at thenaturewanderer.com or naturewanderer.org, either one. You can go to my Instagram page at the nature wander underscores in between each word, or my Facebook is the nature wander. Check all those out. Links are in the show notes. And above all, keep exploring the nature around you. Did you know that plastic is made with oil, a fossil fuel that pollutes the environment? And did you know that only about 15% of all plastic is recycled into new products? Wouldn't it be awesome if we could live our lives without plastic so that we could stop harming the planet? Well, there's a company that wants to help you do just that. Life Without Plastic sells products that will reduce or eliminate your dependence on plastic. They have a large selection from toothbrushes to food storage containers to drinking straws, all plastic-free. And it's reasonably priced. So what are you waiting for? Check out all these great plastic-free products and help save the planet. Just click on the link in the show notes to find out more and to start your journey to being plastic-free.